This podcast is brought to you by SecureFrame.com, the platform for automated compliance. SecureFrame makes it quick and easy to achieve a number of compliance measures in a matter of weeks rather than who knows how long. For those that have dealt with compliance before, you know that it's overwhelming to say the least. Creating policies from scratch, manually collecting loads of screenshot evidence, ensuring employee compliance, and keeping track of hundreds of vendors and documents. Sounds fun, right? (laughs) Thankfully, our friends at SecureFrame have simplified the entire process to save your team months of time and effort. SecureFrame automates hundreds of manual tasks. They streamline evidence collection through over 100 deep integrations with your cloud providers, HR tools, dev tools, and more. They provide you with over 40 auditor-approved policies and give you step-by-step guidance from in-house compliance experts. If this sounds like something you want to learn more about, go to secureframe.com to schedule a personalized demo today. Crypto has a remarkable ability to do capital formation across the globe and allow anyone in the world to participate into it. The second thing is the liquidity. So if you were to provide capital to a credit fund, it might be locked up for five, six, seven plus years while the the loans are outstanding. But crypto can make all of these things composable and provide secondary markets on top of it and make it possible to get liquidity on these positions where that's just not even possible today with traditional markets. Hey everyone, it's Julie Verhage Greenberg here with your FinTech Today podcast where we talk about the latest trends in FinTech and interview the industry's movers and shakers. In this episode, I am joined by Blake West and Mike Saul, who are the co-founders of Goldfinch. And we if you read our newsletter, you would have seen that we wrote about them the other day. They just raised a big round from Andreessen Horowitz. Um, as well as other investors. But whenever I write about something, sometimes it's really easy to write three to four sentences kind of explaining something. Goldfinch was not necessarily the most easiest three to four sentences to explain to someone that is not as into crypto as what some other folks might be in our in our space too. Um, So Mike, let's start with you. What explain to me exactly what Goldfinch is and kind of the origin behind it. Yeah, yeah. And thanks for having us. So the background behind Goldfinch is, well, well, Blake and I, we've known each other forever. We were we were roommates in college together like 17 years ago and have worked <laughs> on things together in the past. And we are both like really excited about crypto and the, the potential for crypto to expand access to capital and empower financial inclusion around the world. And that was what led us originally to go work at Coinbase um, for a couple years before Goldfinch because we love Coinbase's mission of building an open financial system. And then we were getting to this point where we saw all of the infrastructural pieces being built out in the decentralized finance, the DeFi space, and saying, oh, now we can actually really make this happen, like actually get that impact out in the real world. And so we left Coinbase to start Goldfinch. And the premise behind Goldfinch is that there's all of this capital in crypto looking to be put to work. And there are all these borrowers out in, we say the real world, like outside of the crypto (laughs) space that need capital. And traditional financial systems have frictions in them that that result in them being underserved. And we thought Goldfinch can be this bridge between all the capital that sits on crypto with all of these, these really strong businesses, especially fintech businesses in developing markets that can put that capital to good work. So we left Coinbase uh, 18 months ago to start Goldfinch, and then we started building it out and raised some some funding from some great folks like Coinbase and IDEO and, and Kindred Ventures. And then 
we built the initial version of the protocol and launched it in uh, December, so I guess like 13 months ago. And the idea is that it creates a system where lots of people can kind of come together and evaluate the different kinds of loans that real world borrowers are looking for and put their, their capital into them. And it has a system for developing an aggregate sort of pool of capital. But really what it's doing is it's creating the sort of mechanism that automa automates this kind of a marketplace. And so over the past year, we had been working on building out the core components of it and the, the number uh, of folks using it grew a lot. So we started in January of last year at a million in loans deployed and, and reached now um, just shy of $40 million being deployed across 18 countries with over 200,000 end borrowers being consumers and small businesses benefiting from it. And then what we just recently did was was launched the, the token and kind of hand over governance of the protocol to the community. So now we're, we're in this new phase of the protocol's life where uh, it's being run and managed by the community. And so that's kind of like the origin story and a really quick background of what we're building here with Goldfinch. So Blake, let me um, bring you into this a little bit. So if I'm someone that's not familiar with crypto, say listening to this, a lot of what that says makes sense to a certain extent, but then there's a lot of other questions that I have too. Basically, from my understanding, you guys are in sort of like the crypto lending space to a certain extent. Explain exactly how Goldfinch works a little bit, um, sort of like the back end to me though. So I think it's important to have a little bit of context on how you know crypto lending has worked sort of up, up until you know we were running Goldfinch. And um, <clears throat> crypto lending primarily, even, even today, is still... You know, what people call over collateralized. So you often have to put up $150, say, of Ethereum collateral, crypto collateral of some kind, to then borrow $100. And you know, for a lot of people, that, that wouldn't really be considered much of a loan. But that's that's simply what crypto lending is. It's places like Compound and Ave, and that you know it works really well. It's it's achieved massive scale. Uh, it's, you know, typical use case there is for people doing margin trading or if they you know want to borrow against crypto holdings that have had a lot of value gains, but they don't want to sell those holdings. And you know, we, we looked at that and thought there's a lot of success there. But you know, if we can do under collateralized lending, which we'd say is sort of like you know, real, real lending, then that's going to be a 100x bigger market. Because most of the time when people want to borrow, it's because they don't already have the capital they need uh, or else you know, they, they could use something like a compound. And so we really wanted to do this under collateralized lending piece. And so we, uh, you know, we went out and we're trying to think who's the, who's the best original borrower for that. And that's where we, we set on these uh, emerging market fintech lenders because they have a really high need and high pain point there. And then to explain a little bit about how Goldfinch itself works. So we have a few different participants in the ecosystem. We think of there's borrowers, there's backers, what we call them, and LPs or liquidity providers. And so the borrowers are, you know, a fintech company. They, they come to the, the protocol and, and they're basically pitching a, a deal to the, the community of backers that are present. And they say, hey, you know, I want to borrow a million dollars or $5 million. I'm going to pay this interest rate over a year or whatever it is and pay back monthly. And also here's on my track record and here's this information about me. and Here's uh, <clears throat> who I am. And they present that to the community of backers. And the backers are individuals who are assessing those, those borrowers and making individual assessments. And they put money into those, those particular deals. And then based on the collective wisdom of those backers, we have this, these LPs put money into an aggregated, what we call senior pool. And that senior pool can then automatically allocate capital to the deals where we're seeing a lot of consensus from the backers. So we call that the trust through consensus mechanism. Basically, if the protocol sees trust through what the backers are doing, then it can automatically allocate capital 
to that particular deal, um, which adds more capital. And then to incentivize this whole behavior, we have uh, this idea where the senior pool pays 20% of its uh, interest that is generated. That interest is reallocated to the backers. And that gives the backers uh, an economic incentive to do the work of assessment, as well as uh, they take on, I should also mention, the backers take on uh, first loss risk. So they're, so they're a, a junior tranche compared to the senior pool as the senior tranche. That's why we call it the senior pool. And so, yeah, it's really, it's this kind of crowd, almost like a bit of crowdfunding, uh, you know, rhythm of the crowds where the capital is automatically allocated based on what the backers are doing, individual, individual deals. So the thing to me that stands out then is essentially you guys are trying to find a way based on the protocol to establish someone's credit worthiness, people kind of like voting and putting um, like their opinion out there like, hey, here's all the information about this person and here's how I'm deciding whether they're credit worthy or not. How exactly did you... I guess, like, what information are you asking for? What's sort of the process if you want to go on there and start to, um, you know, either request a loan or start um, funding someone's loan in order to get a better return on your crypto? Yeah, so the process here is, I think it's important to emphasize is really entities like fintech and lending businesses that have been seeking financing. And what they do is, is it's up to them to propose the deal to this community of backers. So there was an educational program to help the backers think about how to evaluate these deals. And it's really about these these borrowers who are fintechs. What, what we've seen them doing so far is putting together uh, sophisticated data rooms uh, with, with an NDA that they ask the backers to sign. And then they have, uh, after the backers sign it, they usually will create their own kind of like chat rooms that they allow the backers to enter into and asking questions back and forth. And so, uh, it's kind of like they're really kind of figuring it out as they go a little bit here, but it's not really changing how things happen in traditional markets, working with, with credit funds where these businesses will provide a lot of information and there's a lot of back and forth where they evaluate it. It's just the mechanism for how the capital gets managed is sort of automated by, by the smart contracts. Why do you think this is so important? The smart contract portion of it? Uh, yeah, I mean, like crypto lending in general. I mean, I think I kind of know the answer, but I guess I want it from your point of view. Why do you think it's so important that we are able to take out loans against uh, Bitcoin holdings or other crypto holdings? Oh, so I, I think it's important to realize that these these entities are not using their Bitcoin holdings as, you know, as the collateral to, mm. to, to borrow against. So this is, as we mentioned, this is, you know, un- uncollateralized lending, or you really, I should say it's, it's collateralized by off-chain assets and off-chain track record, right? So it's the backers looking at this uh, entity's ability to you know, create revenue and be able to pay back the loans over time. And uh, that is the thing that's really collateralizing the loan. So they actually don't have any uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum assets at all. And then I think it's worth also just pointing out what, what crypto does in general for this space that is dramatically better than traditional markets. And there's two things. One is the access and the second is the liquidity so for the access, crypto has a remarkable ability to do capital formation across the globe and allow anyone in the world to participate into it. Whereas you look at comparing it to, say, traditional credit funds where you might need to be a qualified investor and there's a long process and only a sliver of the world's population can participate. But crypto is really dramatically expanding this access. And then the second thing is the liquidity. So if you were to provide capital to a credit fund, it might be locked up for five, six, seven plus years while the, the loans are outstanding. 
but crypto can make all of these things composable and provide secondary markets on top of it and make it possible to get liquidity on these positions where that's just not even possible today with traditional markets. And so when you add the access and liquidity, that dramatically expands the, the capital formation and the liquidity can help bring down the cost of capital, which we think will make the market from a global, a global debt perspective far more efficient and, and far lower cost of capital compared to traditional credit funds or traditional markets. I want to get into the typical user of this. And one thing that really stands out to me is Andreessen put out a blog post um, around the time of your funding recently. And the the place where we see the most total active loans in terms of by country is actually Kenya for you guys. Talk to me a little bit about different use cases that you guys have seen. And why do you think it is a place like Kenya, Nigeria, Uganda, the Philippines? Those are your most active countries right now, which I just find uh, pretty incredible. Yeah, I think a lot of that speaks to the great need that these countries have for access to capital and the fact that they are not as well served as the rest of the world. And this, this was born out in the very earliest customer calls that we were doing. We were called up dozens of these places and asked them, you know, what, what are some of your biggest challenges, right? And it was, oh, I'm spending over 50% of my time trying to raise capital, right? And it's even though they have really good businesses with really strong track records, and I think a lot of these businesses were falling into a kind of gap in fundraising. You know, if, if you wanted a business like this, maybe you wanted to raise like 500 k or less, the capital markets in these countries could maybe support that. But you know, if they wanted to raise you know, 25 million plus or something like that, well, then maybe those they could start getting the attention of Western institutions. But there's a pretty large gap there that wasn't being well served. And that's, that's one of the things we're really tapping into here. That's why a lot of these countries are uh, willing to use something that's new and weird like crypto and, and you know, jump through some of the hoops that's required. And I, I think that's, that's really where that's coming from. Yeah, I think it's also, it could be cool to just share some examples of these companies. So for example, you, you mentioned Kenya. Uh, a lot of that ha has to do with a company called Tigende. And what they're doing in Kenya is they provide motorcycle taxi loans. So sort of like the Uber of Kenya, people who want to drive motorcycle taxis, they get like a, they, they make payments to eventually own the motorcycle. And so uh, Tigende is making lo loans of this nature out to tens of thousands of people in, in Kenya. Or you take a company like Greenway, they're in India. And what they're doing is they're, for helping people buy uh, eco-friendly cook stoves for low-income households. And so these cook stoves actually earn carbon credits because they're, they're clean. And that's what, that's what Greenway is using with capital that has been sourced from crypto. And so um, this is like something I'm personally most proud of about what Goldfinch has done so far. And what the original goal behind it was is that seeing, oh, there's all this capital in crypto. And actually, it's now being put to use for these great purposes in these, these places where the capital wasn't flowing in before. How do these companies hear about you guys? Like, I'd assume it's you're not doing like tons of advertising in these areas. Like, is it word of mouth? Are they just like scouring the web and you guys are popping up? Like, how are they discovering someone like uh, Goldfinch to uh, get loans from? It has been a combination of word of mouth, them reaching out. And then um, the Goldfinch has a bunch of great advisors that are involved in the space. And so they have been encouraging folks that they know to participate. And then there are a number of credit funds that have started working with Goldfinch. One of them is called Almavest. Another is called Chorus. And what we've sort of noticed is that these funds, is a small space, they all kind of like 
know each other. So I think the word about Goldfinch is, is sort of getting out. And then uh, a lot of these credit funds are getting interested. And what these credit funds do all day is look for companies like this that um, could use capital. And so we're finding is kind of this organic growth that's just starting to happen. If I go and I invest um, d or deposit crypto into you guys and sort of you end up like pooling the yield together when the lenders um, make payments back to you, what kind of yield have we been seeing so far um, if I'm on the other side of this transaction? Yeah, so the, the organic yields of the typical deals have been ranging in the 10 to 15 percent range. And then in the there are uh you know, fees that the protocol takes, and then the backers as well. I mentioned, you know, twenty percent of interest is reallocated to backers, so it's typically in the kind of eight to ten percent range is something that the uh, senior pool could expect. Okay, so it might be a little bit higher than the eight to ten range right now, but you feel comfortable saying that that's going to be a pretty long term um, yield that people could expect. I think we should probably clarify: like, we can't promise any specific yields <laughs> because it depends Fair. upon the kinds of loans that the the community decides to back, but. What, what I will say is that the the coupon rates that we have seen so far in the range of 10 to 15 percent are just the, the market rates in these these countries. So if we assume that the community continues to sort of fund these kinds of loans in these markets at market rates, then then one could believe that those would be the rates continuing. But I don't think we can really promise what the community will decide to do. Yeah. And also there's also other factors, too, like the senior pool, it, it allows you know, capital just come in and as capital comes in, it sort of dilutes the rest of the returns, right? And so it really ends up just finding its market level. It's a variable rate of return and it's it'd be extremely difficult to actually estimate that. I was more talking about sort of the historical, what the deals have been thus far. Uh, you know, one topic we haven't talked about yet um, that we talk about a lot when it comes to crypto these days is regulation. Uh, Mike, how are you guys sort of thinking about that as you look at the next chapter of Goldfinch? Because not necessarily whether it's going to be good or bad. I just think there's a lot of questions around what the future of regulation in crypto will be. So I'm just curious from a, a founder perspective, how you take that into account. One of the things that we did when we were designing this early on is think a lot about this. And we took a perspective that we think that um, the industry as a whole is going to evolve here. And so one thing that differentiates Goldfinch compared to a lot of other DeFi protocols is that it is entirely KYC'd. Uh, everyone who participates in the junior tranches or the senior tranches of the pools, they need to do an ID verification and get KYC'd. And the reason we did this was from early, early customer research talking to potential borrowers. They have their own compliance requirements where they need to know who they're receiving capital from. Also, uh, there are a lot of institutions who uh, we've talked to who have shied away from participating in DeFi protocols because they can't get totally comfortable with those compliance questions. So uh, we, 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 there's KYC now on everyone who's using the Goldfinch protocol. I think it sets the protocol apart. And we think that's going to be a trend for the broader industry. Uh, we've seen Aave starting to do something actually similar by doing um, sort of a closed pool. And we think that more protocols will start to take this approach because it opens up the potential market of folks who are willing to participate. So we think that the regulatory question is super important. That's why we've taken steps like this to get everyone comfortable with using this kind of, uh, kind of new system. 
My other question here is, um, you know, what initially got you guys into crypto? You mentioned that you were at Coinbase before, so obviously this is not something that's super new. But I'd assume, um, you know, you've been in here for a while and the industry has changed a lot over the last few years. So, Blake, do you want to answer the question first? Sure. I'd say, you know, initially I started reading and thinking about crypto probably back in 2017 or so. And, uh, you know, fascinated by the, the new technology that was presented here of a decentralized way to be doing computation and storage and transferring money. Um, one of the sort of initial use cases I think that really got me excited was an idea of decentralized marketplaces and thinking about how, how many marketplaces exist in the world, uh, like Airbnb and, and Uber and even Google to a large extent is just kind of a marketplace. And thinking about how much value is captured by these centralized entities that are able to charge you know, excessive tax rates and take rates on these uh, on these marketplaces and thinking that, you know, the users really own that data and that idea of user ownership of data and marketplaces that could be decentralized and owned by the users was, was really compelling for me. And, um, you know, I've been, you know, kind of wrote about this early on back in 2018 when I was first sort of starting to really think about the crypto things. This is one of the things that it really flips the architecture of the internet um, from being having these central places that own data to the users owning data and then those central places plugging into the users. And that's just always been a really fascinating thing. And it's, it's one of the things we're doing at Goldfinch. Goldfinch really is a marketplace for these, these loans. And I'm, I'm really excited about what, what we're doing and what Web3 is doing generally because of that. Mike, what about you? Oh, yeah. Let's see. I think I first, I first like bought a little Bitcoin back in 2013 and was like getting into it then. And really then I just thought the technology was so cool. I didn't really know exactly how it would be used, but it just really piqued my interest. And then I think it was in... 2017 seeing like learning more about ethereum and how that was work, working that i kind of that's when it really blew my mind and i started to think like oh i think i think crypto will do for money basically what the internet did for information and and feeling like oh it's really going to change dramatically what what you can do from a financial perspective and it'll be this kind of a paradigm shift and not knowing exactly what that would look like but feeling like this is this is like a really big transformational thing and that's when I kind of realized I wanted to focus my entire career on on doing crypto. And that's when I uh, ended up yeah, heading over to Coinbase. And then there was no looking back since then. It was all in. <laughs> no looking back. Died right into the rabbit hole and, and never left. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us, you guys. Um, I, I definitely will want to have you back later in the year to see how everything is going. But if anyone wants to find out more about you in the meantime, they can go to goldfinch.finance. That is your website. And if anyone wants to follow along on fintech and crypto in general, go to fintechtoday.co, sign up for our newsletter, and we will keep you up to date on everything that is happening. Otherwise, Blake, Mike, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Julie. Bye.